Psalms chapter 12, verse number 6, the Bible says, The words of the Lord are almost pure. It doesn't say almost pure. It says are pure. Now, why did God inspire His Word? He inspired His Word because He had an intention of giving us His pure Word. Uh, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Not only did God inspire His Word, not only is it God-breathed, not only is it pure, but that pure Word, it's not almost pure. If it was almost pure, you, could have an, you can have a hint of error in it. But He inspired it so we can have something that's pure, and we can have something that does not have errors in it. We talked about verbal inspiration. It is God's Word. Last week, we talked about uh, plenary inspiration, that idea, that, that belief that it's not just parts of the Bible. It's all parts are inspired and equally authoritative. And now we're talking about the uh, inspiration inerrancy. There's no errors. It's without error. And the original inspired word, look, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. We have God's original inspired word and it was pure, right? It was without error, right? And we can say amen to that. But look at verse number 7. Thou shalt keep them, O scribe. No. Thou shalt keep them, O translators. <laughs> no, again. Thou shalt keep them, O Bible committee of selected. No. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Verse number 6, we have the original word that's inspired, but verse number 7, we don't have originals. We have something that was kept. And the non-originals are preserved without error. You only have one inspiration of God and you have many accounts of God preserving His Word throughout time. The originals are without error. But copies that came out, or that came after the originals, they, they have to also be without error or... God's Word really isn't that pure. Some error has snuck in. I believe you need to believe both. Um, look, let's go to Psalms 19. Psalms 19. Psalms 19, verse number 7. Psalms 19, verse number 7. The law of the Lord, it's kind of perfect. No, it is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. That's pretty clear. That's pretty direct. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Why did God inspire his word? So that you and I could have his perfect word without error. He didn't just somehow inspire the originals and now we're just lost and we just kind of have to do the best we can. I don't believe that. I believe the same God that inspired the originals took it upon himself to preserve his word regardless of who the men are that he used. God's always used sinful men. God's always used sinful men to accomplish his purpose. Go to Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30. And you notice by now, I, if you've been here any length of time, you notice I do this a lot, but you'll notice this afternoon I am inserting words or I leave things out. Why? Because I do that on purpose to draw our attention to actually what it says. Because a lot of times we read the Bible, but we the way that I'm reading it wrong is kind of the way that we sometimes think about things. And we, should, we really should believe what it says, not what we think it says or what we think it should say. God's words are always better than ours. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Most of the word of God is pure. It doesn't say that. It says every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And I trust God, and I trust that he took it upon himself to preserve his word. And I believe by faith that every word of God that I'm reading in this Bible is pure. Every word of God is pure. Why did God inspire his word? So that you and I could have every word that we need. Not that we want to have but that what we need. Brother Danny and I were talking before church service and, you know, uh, mentioning some giants and, be, man, it'd be really cool to have more stuff about how these giants were slain, you know. But we don't have a, a lot. We got what God gave us and that's what he wants us to have. Fun things to think about, certainly, but we have the words that God wants us to have. Now, what we have in our hands, I believe it has been recorded without error. So I believe I can trust what's in this book. I don't think it has mistakes in it. I know it doesn't have mistakes in it. The Bible cannot be proven false. And I believe that God miraculously used men to make sure that what is scripted is without error. Biblical inerrancy. Bible inerrancy is what I'd like to speak to you about this afternoon. You can fill in the blanks. I'll read a few phrases, and I know that you know these verses. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God inspired it. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This inerrant book has two things that are vitally important to the Christian's life. Number one, it's the truth of what God says. And number two, it's the lies of what Satan says. And both of those are in here. Here's what you do, here's what you don't do. And all of that's recorded for our benefit. 
I don't think it's fair that someone can say they believe in the inspiration of Scripture, but then go on to claim that the Scriptures have errors in it. Things that are different can't be the same. Now, if we just speak about the English language, if we're just talking about English, if you have nine different translations of the English Bible and they all say something different, they're not the same. There's an error here, there's a mistake here, there's a mistranslation here. I believe that causes confusion. I believe we're better off unity around one book and there's a belief, there's a belief by faith that says if God inspired His Word, He can keep that which He inspired. That's called preservation. And I believe we've got in our lap right now what God wants us to know recorded perfectly. Because if we didn't, then we would have to say that we believe in biblical heresy, not biblical inerrancy. The Bible is inerrant without error. They don't have errors in it. Numbers 23, Titus 1, and Hebrews 6 all tell us that God cannot lie. Do you believe that, that uh, that's impossible? It's impossible for God to lie. And the inerrancy of Scripture is the belief that what the Scriptures say is what God said. Let's look at two that are familiar and then we'll move on to uh, our, our next thought. Look at Romans 9. Romans 9. This will be a contrast of the old and the new. And also get Exodus 9. Romans 9 and Exodus 9. Romans chapter number 9, verse number 17. This is familiar. We just came out of Romans 9, 10, and 11. Look at Romans 9, 17. The Bible says, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Remember we talked about that and preached through that? For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh. That's the Old Testament. Referring back to, well, let's see in Exodus chapter number 9. Exodus 9, verse number 13. Exodus 9, verse 13, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him. The Lord said it. Exodus 9. Here's what I want you to do, Moses. And now we have in Romans chapter 9, the Scripture saith. And if the Scripture says it, then who said it? The Lord, God. <laughs> and if the Lord, God said it in Exodus 9, who said it in Romans 9? The Scripture. The Holy Scriptures are exactly what the Lord said. It's His Word, He said it, and that's how we have it recorded. It's the Scriptures, it's the Lord, it's the same. It's inerrant. There's no mistakes. So the Scriptures and the Lord, they, they, it's, if the Scripture says it, we know that God said it. Look at another one more example concerning this. Genesis 12 and Galatians 3. Genesis 12 
and Galatians chapter number 3. The same type of idea. We'll do two of these and I think you'll get the, the point. Galatians 3. Galatians 3 verse 8. Galatians 3 verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. You see the phrase in the beginning, in the scripture. Now look at Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will, I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Who said it in Genesis chapter 12? The Lord. Who said it in Galatians? The Scripture. The Scripture said it in the New Testament, which means who said it in the Old Testament? The Lord. The Lord said it, the Scripture said it. It's the same thing. The Scriptures are not going to lie. Now, I pointed those two uh, cross-references out for a purpose. You and, well, you're, Brother Jimmy, you're just, you're just splitting hairs. Maybe I am. Because you will read this. We believe... We believe that the Bible is inspired of God and is without error in the original autographs. Now, is that true? Yes, that is true. What is the non-stated implied meaning of that? The non-stated implied meaning that comes out when you, when you kind of dig or press on it is that the Bible is only without error in the original autographs. So we have people that believe in biblical inspiration. It was God's Word. It was inspired. It was without error. And we believe that only in accord with the original autographs. That's why it specifically says on doctrinal statements in the original autographs. And when you read that, that means nobody believes that upholds to that. Nobody believes that you can hold a Bible without error in your hand today. You would have to get the original autographs. Nobody disputes that the original autographs are without error. The dispute and the debate and the argument is over whether or not we have something we can hold in our hand right now that's without error. Can copies of the original be without error? And this is heavy stuff on a Sunday afternoon, I know. Put your thinking caps on. Let's go to the Bible and see what else we can glean from this. Go to Proverbs 25. Can a copy be without error and be considered Holy Scripture? Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. 
Sorry, it took me a little bit here. I think I've got it. All right, I'm there. I trust you are. Proverbs 25. Watch what it says. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. You know what they have here in these Proverbs? Copies. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. Do you believe that those copied out scriptures, those copied out Proverbs, were with error or without error? I believe they were without error. And this Proverb 25 tells me that they're copied. They were copied out. Original wasn't around. Go to Daniel chapter number 9. Let's look at another example. Daniel 9. Daniel's in Babylon, and in verse number 2 it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now if he is going to understand what the prophet Jeremiah said, and if he's going to understand them by books, that would tell me that Daniel had to have had a copy of the book of Jeremiah. I mean, wouldn't you get that out of reading that verse? In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. He's got a copy of the book of Jeremiah. That's what Daniel has. Really? Go to Daniel 9. Let's look at what Daniel didn't have in Daniel 9. Daniel chapter 9. Look at verse number 11. Daniel 9. That's, yes, that's right. Okay, Daniel 9. And I want you to pay attention what, to what Daniel did not have in stark contrast of what he did have. Daniel 9, verse 11. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses. Now, I don't, I know where the law of Moses was, was written. It was written with the finger of God, and it was on two tables of stone. Do we remember that from Exodus uh, 31, right? Now, God did that. I don't think Daniel had the two tables of stone in his hand. I don't believe that he had those original tables in his hand. Let's keep reading. Uh, it is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his word, which he spake against us and against our judges that judge us, by bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. Here it is. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is now come upon us. 
Now, you know why I know, and do you know why you can know, that Daniel did not have the original two tables of stone that God wrote with his finger in Exodus 31? Well, because in Exodus 32, they were destroyed. And they were completely gone. There were no originals after Exodus 32. The law of Moses was completely destroyed. God did a redo. God made a copy. He already inspired His Word, and now He decided, you know what? I'm going to preserve what I said. Here's another one. And you know what Daniel didn't have? That another one. He had a copy of a copy, and I don't know how many copies, but he had the law of Moses from a copy. Now, do you believe that what he had in his hand had errors in it? I don't. It was without error, and it was the Scriptures, but it wasn't an original autograph. Nobody's carrying around two tables of stone. He's got a copy of the law of Moses. Now let's look at Luke chapter number 4. Let's look at another example. Luke 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke 4, verse number 16. This is concerning Jesus. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Where is Jesus? He's in Nazareth right now. Now let's see what he's going to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. That would be the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down the eyes of all them were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, do you think that Jesus, first of all, Isaiah was a prophet where? In Jerusalem. That's where Isaiah was a prophet. Remember I asked you where Jesus was at the beginning of that reading that verse? Where was Jesus? At Nazareth. So you have Jerusalem to Nazareth is 90 miles, 100 miles. It's a, it's a long way off. But not only that, you don't have a decade between Isaiah and Jesus on the earth. You've got 700 years that have passed. Jesus isn't holding in his hand an original. I mean, you've got the incarnate word reading the word. I mean, that'll just blow your mind right there. Jesus is reading a copy of a copy of a copy. I don't know how many copies. You don't know how many copies. Do you believe that what Jesus said 
in Luke 4, when you read Luke 4, what Jesus said, with errors or without errors? It's without errors, but He's reading from a copy. He, Jesus picked up a book. He's reading Scripture, but it's from a copy. Now, isn't that something? It's the Son of God on earth. The Son of God is opening His mouth. The Son of God opened up a book, and the Son of God read something. It's authoritative. It's inspired, but He's reading from a copy. That tells me that God took it upon Himself to preserve His Word without error. Jesus isn't reading an original autograph. I don't see how He could be. And He calls it in verse number 21, and He began to say unto them, watch, this day is the Scripture fulfilled in your ears. Well, what, what, what must have went in my ears had to have been, uh, there, I, I just can't trust that it. it was um, pure and perfect and without error. Why not? Well, it was a copy and all we have is a copy. If it was an original, we could have trusted it. Jesus is reading from a copy, folks. And he said, it's scripture. And I, th I believe we should believe it. I know we should believe it. That a copy can be inspired and a copy can be without error. Acts 8. Well, I don't, I'm not sure about that. I know, it's okay. Let's look at another verse, though. If nothing else, you got something to chew on and think on and pray about. Acts chapter number 8. It will be my last sermon this afternoon, <laughs> which I want to be with the Lord as much as you do. I'm not real thrilled in one sense and going now i mean i feel like the lord would have us do some stuff here but um if he takes me home he takes me home if he takes you home he takes you home uh but if you don't take me home i want to be busy for him but if he were to take me home after this sermon and this would be my last sermon i would want you to know for sure that you can trust this book trust it believe it obey it acts 8 verse 26 Acts 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship was reading and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. That's Isaiah. Hey, wasn't Jesus just reading about that? Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him place of the scripture which he read was this he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before a shearer so opened he not his mouth in his humiliation his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation where his life is taken from the earth and the eunuch answered Philip and said I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or some other man then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture 
and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, there came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went both down into the water, and Philip, uh, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What a great passage. It's very familiar for us. I'm going to talk about something that typically isn't preached through in this passage, although it's there. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading the same from a copy of a copy of a copy. It's the same book that Jesus was reading from. But it's 30 years later. Did Jesus read from the book of the prophet Isaiah? Yes. Now, is the eunuch and Philip, are they involved now in this book of the prophet Isaiah? They are. Do you think it's the same one? It's 30 years later. How in the world did Jesus get it over? He didn't. He didn't. There's another copy of the book of the prophet, and it's called Scripture. It's 1,400 miles, not 90 miles. We're not talking about Jerusalem to Nazareth. We're talking about Ethiopia, which is 1,400 miles away from Nazareth. And he's got his own copy of the book of the prophet. And I know we read over it, but let's go back to verse 35. What does Philip call the copy that he's reading from? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. He calls the copy that he's reading from the scripture. Do you think there were any errors in what was taking place here? I don't. I don't. If he was reading Isaiah, he was reading Scripture that was a copy that God had preserved from the time of Isaiah 700 years later to the time of Jesus 30 years later from the time of Jesus to now Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch 730 years later from Isaiah to this instance here in Acts we have copies being read that have been preserved by God and are without error. When did preservation take place? It couldn't have taken place at the original autographs. That is inspiration. We don't have a re-inspired book. We don't have an advanced inspiration. We don't have a second inspiration. No. Inspiration happened one time, that's found in the original autographs. But nobody has the original autographs. So preservation had to have taken place when? After that. Psalms 12 verse 6, original autographs inspired. Praise the Lord, we all believe that. Psalms 12 verse 7, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Preservation happens after the first copy has been made. But don't, men's, but don't men's hands touch it and get involved with it? Yeah, they do. Do you witness the lost people? Does their soul get saved? Who did it? God. But he used you. So God took it upon himself to preserve his word without error. Preservation didn't take place when the originals were written. It takes place in copies. 
Well, do the copies have a much has have as much authority as the originals? I believe they do. And I believe I can back it up with scripture where scripture says that copies of scripture have been read and they're called scripture. I believe that. I believe that. If God didn't or couldn't preserve his word, we wouldn't have an inerrant Bible. We would have an errant Bible with errors. Now that's something to think about. God did preserve his word. And we can trust that what we have in our hand is what he would want us to have. Last verse and we'll be done. Psalms 33. Psalms 33. I'm trying to lay some groundwork through these lessons um, because in another few months we'll be getting into some deeper stuff concerning uh, textual variants and this says this and this doesn't say this and all that. So I'm trying to lay some groundwork for the way that we approach the Bible. Uh, but so let's finish with this verse. I think it's a good one to end on. Psalms 33, verse 11. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations.